0: Today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. There were unexpected results, not necessarily who won. Well, Golden State, we'll get to that one a little bit later. That's not going to be a major focus that went against Houston today. I didn't even think I was going to watch that game, um, but we are live on Christmas night and Merry Christmas to everybody celebrating. This is releasing Thursday morning on the Ringer Podcast Network. So don't you worry, State Farm. We're gonna, You're going to get your money's worth on this one. Uh, get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Here is the plan. Tales from the couch. I've been taking notes since 9 a.m. Pacific time. I took a little time off because I said I'm not going to watch the Houston Golden State game. I lied. I watched some of it. I did go outside to play hoops. So a lot of hoops today. And I just got a real Quick thing about the downtown Manhattan Beach area to play pickup hoops. And I know it's a community that struggles, but can we take the locks off the freaking rims? Can we stop doing that? You know, I go down, last year we had Run. I go down there and there's just, they put these metal bars across the rims and lock it out. How am I supposed to enjoy a joyous holiday with close family and loved ones, extended family? without going out there and playing a little hoops. And so I had to find, I went to a court redondo. That was locked. And then I found another place and shot around for a little bit and then came back and watched the Warriors beat the Rockets. So that's the plan. Tales from the Couch, all the games today. I'm not going to do Denver and New Orleans. That's going on right now. Tight one at the end of the first half. Maybe if something happens at the very end, we'll do a little live broadcast of it. No, we won't because that's illegal. And we're going to have the youngest guest ever in the history of any podcast that I've ever done. We got a 12-year-old. Is going to join us, major NBA fan. So that is the plan, and I know maybe a little stats for the ladies, stats to impress the ladies at the end. I don't know if that's allowed in 2019. I think it is. Some of you guys are like, "Hey, I've been out." I don't know if you're out tonight. I was invited to go out tonight. I felt like that was going to be a little depressing to uh, to go out on Christmas night. So, um, you know, power, power to you if you're going to do it. But you may have needed those stats on like a Tuesday, even though Tuesday. Christmas Eve is not exactly like Thanksgiving Eve that Wednesday so let's start with what we just watched Clippers and the Lakers big win by the Clippers and I'm going to tell you like an overriding theme of this is I don't know necessarily what to do with the results I maybe am not great as a post-game studio guest because I just I don't feel like I saw a lot today that is super definitive of okay this result absolutely means this because I think the Clippers and Lakers are that good I think they're that much better Than everybody else in the West. I know Denver is the second seed. Uh, I'll get to Denver a little bit later, but when I watch the Lakers and Clippers play throughout the season, I go, those are the two best teams. Uh, Maybe the two best teams, in the NBA. I don't, you know, it's not as deep at the top where we thought it was five or six. I thought the Lakers were going to coast a little bit more in the regular season. And that hasn't been the case at all. I don't know what to make of the Clippers record wise, because the record would be better if everybody were playing all the time, but this is what they're going to do with Kawhi. So let's run through the game a little bit. Uh, it was a lot of fun stuff. Even though it was a little messy, it was sort of awesome, too, at the same time. And LeBron was passive, but I think he was passive by nature. I mean, it's not like LeBron's going to go, oh, Christmas, I'm not feeling this. There's too much pressure on me here. Um, but he was passive because of what the Clippers were doing. And then Kuzma goes off. And so in the first game, when the Clippers won at the very beginning of the season, the bench numbers were massively in favor of the Clippers and in this case, with that big Kuzma start, they got to a 19-4 bench advantage over the Clippers, which is you know unheard of because we know what Lou Williams and Montrez mean to them because they start Zubac and they you know start Patterson and and they do some of those things where they start different guys that they're never going to be part of their closing group. And the Lakers actually got up 15 at one point, and it was a 17-2 run. And you are think, like, okay, all right, this is the Lakers thing that Lakers fans talk about all the time is that when it really comes down to it, Lakers against the Clippers in a playoff game what is the solution going to be for Anthony Davis? Because as much as I like to track matchups, where do you start? What are the things you're looking for early? A lot of this, you don't know what the teams are truly trying to do until it's a close game at the end and they're searching out bad switches. They're searching out certain defensive players. I mean, there's some games where I watch, I'm like, oh my gosh, this must be the worst. Like this guy's out there and... They're clearly just trying to get him to switch like five different times. This game was not that. And I'm going to get to all that stuff. I'm, hopefully, it's interesting to listen to me track switches. But I thought in this game, that's what was so interesting about it. So Davis had a good game. But it wasn't, even though I thought when the Lakers are going up, you're going, okay, maybe this is the problem. Maybe this is the problem because you've got to put Montrez on Davis. They had Paul George on Davis. And the way the Lakers are matched up against it, you know, they were going with... um you know LeBron wasn't gonna defend. He doesn't defend the, the best players. He's just not going to because they're gonna just try to pace him throughout the entire year, which is smart. I'm not knocking it. I maybe mean, maybe I'm knocking it when I hear he's gonna be defensive player of the year because that's absurd. But you know he starts off on Patterson and then he finds different things throughout the game. And you know it was just it was just a game where it felt like both teams were kind of trying to search out like what would we actually really do if we're playing here in a seven game series. Um, Lou wasn't scoring at all, so that was part of the problem for the Clippers early. And if you watch Montrez as much as we all like him, because I think every one of us would love to have a Montrez Harrell on our team. If you're giving him post-ups, especially against the size of the Lakers, that's a problem. We know that he's a better rim runner. He's somebody that's better on a screen, slipping it or rolling hard and getting him with some momentum towards the rim. Uh, Maybe when everybody goes small, the post-ups aren't as bad because his energy level is like in the 1% of the NBA but when you're trying to finish against Dwight and JaVale and then Anthony Davis and all these guys, like Montez can't hold the ball down there and expect to kind of finish. So here were some of the defensive things that I was I was talking about earlier. I started writing all of this down because I was trying to keep track of it. And this is all in order. This isn't necessarily like transition cross-matching where you just end up with somebody. Like, you rarely in an NBA game, like, okay, tip the ball, all right, I'm against you, and I'm going to defend you for 100 possessions. It just doesn't happen that way. And this game was crazy in that regard. So you had – Danny Green on Paul George. Davis was on Kawhi because, again, they were always trying to put LeBron on whoever the third guy was that was, you know, whether it was Mohark, was Patterson at times. Jermichael Green got some minutes in there. Um, the Clippers actually weren't getting a ton out of those guys. You know, Kawhi had a really good first quarter. You look up, and you go, what well, he's got 14 points. I mean, look, Kawhi is – he is one of the most – you know, look, we know he's arguably the best player in the league, but when he has these nights – And another one of them today where you go, how many did he have? Like, God, that seemed absolutely effortless. You know, it just doesn't seem like it's forced or doesn't seem like he's taking as many shots. Even when he took a million shots against the Sixers in that game winner where he hit it from the corner, that iconic shot, he had taken so many shots. And I remember after going, God, you know, it just doesn't feel like that. So here we go. So you've got green on Paul George. And then you end up with Davis on Kawhi. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute is there a part of this that's a counter to the who's going to guard Anthony Davis or the Clippers is a counter to that saying, well, wait a minute, which wings, like, what are you going to do with wings against Kawhi? Are you going to have Anthony Davis chase him around the whole time? Like, cause that doesn't make any sense because they still, at least in regular season games want to keep Davis at the four and keep a combination of Dwight and JaVale in there. And those guys are going to be up against Montrez, which is going to be the closing center for the Clippers. So all of this was through the lens of what would the playoff series look like? Uh, LeBron, I mentioned his his matchups there. He had Mo Harkless at one point on Anthony Davis. So here here I go. This is tracking. And then finally, I was like, stop, because you're just you're not even enjoying the game. The Clippers ran a play to get LeBron switched on the ball. So now I'm thinking, OK, are they actually going to go after LeBron and try to get him on these switches? And the Clippers run a very, um, you know, Doc is very good at running offenses to get efficient players you know, he just he just makes players more efficient. But a lot of it is pretty simple in that, you know, it's horns is always thought traditionally two guys you can go off of on the elbows, but they bring it up. And then Kawhi just kind of picks what he wants to do, where Beverly, even though he's the point guard, it's not like Beverly's running the offense and waving guys all over the place. Kawhi's just that good with his handle. So they run to get LeBron in a switch. I'm like, okay, pay attention to that. And then on the other end, LeBron had the ball where the Clippers switched three different guys onto LeBron, and I'm telling you, not even seven seconds, where it was, what the Clippers do is they love to go, we can switch with Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul George on any kind of action you want, and if you end up one-on-one with any of those guys, like, good luck, and that's actually kind of scary. And they did it against Boston. I remember they just ran a thing where it's like, okay, we're going to have one of the big guys defend probably their one option, and then we're going to have the other guy defend the ball handler. And if that's the action that they run with those two guys, like, congrats. You just switched from Paul George to Kawhi. Have fun. And that's that's the thing that should scare everybody. Okay. So they have on that possession where Kawhi had started on LeBron. He ended up on Anthony Davis off into the corner, and three different guys are on him. Okay. So next time down, Kawhi has LeBron on him. So I'm thinking, all right, he's going to ISO with him. And they run a switch with A.D.'s man to get Kawhi onto A.D. And now A.D.'s defending Kawhi and Kawhi misses a three. So I'm like, what the hell is going on next time down? I'm telling you, these are all successive possessions. Um, Montrez ends up on LeBron. And then you come back down. Kawhi's got the ball. And now Danny Green's on him. And then the Lakers run a screen with Pope (laughs) where I think Harkless was on Pope or something and they ended up getting a switch so they could get LeBron going at Beverly and again like I said these weren't transition matchups and at that point I'm like all right stop stop doing this um, because this isn't this isn't fun anymore Uh, later on in the game you know it was uh, Anthony Davis trying to go at Montrez which didn't really hurt the Clippers he hit a jumper he missed another jumper they did an awesome out of timeout thing that I'll get to on this timeout where Vogel got mad and he kind of called like another quick second timeout where he got mad about something they did and how they were defending Kawhi going to his right off of that horn stuff. And um, the, the out of timeout play was incredible, but it was a lot of straight Anthony Davis. What can you do against Montrez? Again, fine. Clippers passed that test. And then it was Paul George defending LeBron straight up. And it, it wasn't terrible but you know it's not something you're going to do even with paul george and his length and everything you're not going to just let that happen george um actually lebron did get it going after starting seven from three and then you look at the closing groups the lakers went with beverly shamit george Kawhi, montrez the lakers are rondo green lebron anthony davis after lakers went with their excuse me the clippers went with their closing group at eight minutes left um the lakers brought in davis at 720 dwight was still in But then this is the thing to always look at. Okay, wait a minute. This was a big game against maybe their best opponent. They went with Anthony Davis at the five with those five minutes to go. And I mentioned all of those matchups there a little bit earlier. Uh, The out of timeout was awesome. It was a handoff where it was like a ball reversal, as Van Gundy mentions, handoff. LeBron gets it to AD, who slips the screen, dunk, here we go. And I'll admit, I'm watching this expecting the whole time. Davis is going to go off, Davis is going to go off, and it didn't really happen. Uh, offensively, for what the Clippers did, they got Kawhi on a really good post where I have these concerns where I go, is Lou Williams holding the ball a little too much when you have George and Kawhi out here with two minutes to go to close in a close game? Like, what are you doing? And the answer is both yes and no, because there was one possession where – you know, Lou looked like he was going to run it down to the clock where he had LeBron on him, iso no help. And I'm like, is he just going to go at LeBron and not let anybody else touch the ball here? Because I don't know that I love that, despite Lou's scoring prowess. Um, but they didn't do that. Kawhi got a really good post position coming from, like, the right block to the left block, and he got fouled by Danny Green. It was a good foul. He got fouled again. He hit all of his free throws. And that's really kind of what happened in this game is that the Clippers made their last 16 free throws, and the Lakers didn't really know what they wanted to be. They, they just kind of went one-on-one matchups and and the shots didn't go in. And it's very important, though, after um, the Lakers get the ball back with the shot clock off, down three, LeBron's going at Beverly. I almost didn't have this in the notes and I just double-checked here, by the way. Um, I looked at it and go, okay, you know, are they going? the Clippers going to foul? They're up three. They don't. LeBron had a hard time kind of getting free of Beverly. Beverly got his body right into him. I mean, that guy is unbelievable defending bigger guys. Not that he's going to shut down LeBron, but he did on that possession, and he blocked the shot. And my least favorite review in sports is when the guy swipes the ball out of your hands, like science on the super MythBuster slow-motion cam is going to show the ball usually is always going to be out of the shooter's hands last. But the intent of what you would always call was okay, if you have the ball and somebody swipes it out and it just happens to be that a molecule in your pinky is the last thing to touch the ball, like it's still off the other guy. Uh, I, I bet there's people listening to this that are disagreeing with me, saying that it's, it's, it's better this way. It isn't better this way. It sucks this way. And I'm the furthest thing from really being a fan of either team, so it has nothing to do with it. I just don't think that that's really what the spirit of the rule is. And I know they reversed it and they called it out. That's your ball game. Um, but I, I hate it. I just hate it. So I don't. I don't care. I'm not sure who's better. I'm really not. Uh, I know for a fact, like these guys are going to be fighting over Iguodala. It's, it's just going to be, you know, they're going to need an extra body. The Lakers are, I think, I think the Lakers need Iguodala more than the Clippers do. I really do. Uh, we could talk about secondary scoring for the Clippers. You know, what is Lou Williams in a Western conference finals versus a regular season game where he's getting 20 in the fourth quarter is Lou Williams, somebody that another team's going to seek out defensively. Does it really matter though? because you've got those other two guys and Montrez covers so much space himself. And then the fact that Beverly can switch on a bigger guys. I mean, that defensive possession against LeBron was all timer. So even though I don't like the review, I mean, he, he blocked LeBron shot. And you know what? That shot wasn't going in because he was set up so poorly and it was just going to be really hard for him. So, um, you know, th- there's, there's not a ton to add to that Denver fans. You know, you're always going to be mad at me and you, you're just, you just have to understand there's a very simple rule. Uh, for this. And it and it pertains to Milwaukee too, where I called Milwaukee a little Denverish, although I probably like Milwaukee a little bit better just because of the East versus not having two LA teams in front of them in the East. These are the rules. Like Pascal Siakam, when I sent out that note where I was like, you know, for for an MVP candidate, which he was at the beginning of the year, and Pascal Siakam's awesome. It's an awesome story in, in this Toronto team, which I'm going to get to. Uh, they are incredible. But when I'm pointing out some things with Siakam, you know what? I'm not going to point those things out two years ago because he's not even on the radar. So in a way, when you're scrutinized more intensely, at least by me, it, it's a compliment because you know the expectations are that Denver probably should have been in the Western Conference last year, and you know we want to see if you're the big boys. You know we're going to see if you can get out of the West. I mean, some people were picking them to get out of the West, like real people on TV. We're picking Denver to get out of the West, and Denver beat the Lakers uh, Sunday night. No LeBron. Lakers are kind of lost without LeBron. I thought Van Gundy made a pretty good point about, you know, minutes for Davis without LeBron. You know, is there enough playmaking there? Is Rondo enough? You know, Green was, was solid at times. Pope hit some big shots. Is it collectively enough where you can trust all those guys? Bradley, what is he going to be? Um, like just a couple numbers on Denver. A lot of the, the metrics are really good. They're really good. Um, I don't know who their third guy is because there isn't one. And that's who they are right now. And when you look at their home road, that's something I always look at. Like, if you're really good, you know, why are you below 500 in the road last year? And they were 6-5. and five. They played 11 road games going to that Sunday night game against L.A. And a handful of other teams have played 17 or 18 games on the road already. So, um, Denver's going to win a ton of games. And Jokic, you know, slowly is getting it going again. You know, Murray is not the, is this guy ever going to be any good? Uh, you know, he's, he's good. He's good. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be great. Um, he's not great now and that's that's my deal with them so and the reason I talk about them that way is that I don't look at them as a a six or five seed I look at them as a team that people talk about coming out of the west so that's why I sound a little bit more critical but it's only more critical because they're more in the crosshairs that's it that's all that's all there is to it so all right so that's the first game Um, let's do let's do a little Golden State Houston um, because I think it's it's actually worth doing a little bit more than I thought. All right. You know, what's weird is I swear in the broadcast and I may have this wrong that they had said, well, you know, golden state, Houston, Houston, this is their fourth game in five nights." I swear they said that. Cause I wrote it down. It could have been off because I was just coming back from playing hoops myself. And that was also solo. So, uh, I have no stats to give you on this one. So let me get to my golden state numbers here. Uh, cause I have, a plethora of them there are no more four games in five nights by the way there, there aren't so uh it hasn't happened now this is the third season without it gamblers are complaining because they love that fourth game in five nights it's the fourth game in seven nights they're fourth on the road you know i know houston fans would be like all right yeah i know it wasn't great but here are all of your excuses because i know you want to make excuses rockets fans of course you do and here were the four teams they played they played the clippers Phoenix, Sacramento, and Golden State. So it wasn't like they were going to Orlando and then Moscow, okay? And it's Christmas, and you didn't play. Nobody played on Tuesday. And you came, what, from Sacramento? And they were terrible. (laughs) So here are some simple things, though, with Houston. If they have 11 free throws through three quarters, then you're probably doing something right. And on the other end, um, you know, Draymond looked like – Draymond. I mean, Draymond looked like the guy who used to hit threes five years ago. That's how good he was in the fourth quarter. And there's some free throw numbers here for Harden that I wanted to look at because his first attempt was at seven fifty nine to go in the game. They had eleven free throws excuse me, free throws through three quarters. Um if you want to look at just some of the offensive and defensive efficiency numbers here, Houston's number three on offense and they're 16th on defense. You're like, okay, wait a minute. Are they slipping a little bit defensively? No, they were 17th in defensive efficiency last season. Remember their defensive season, they are pretty good two years ago. And the thing with them was always they were really good. Even when we thought they were bad, they were good off of makes and they were terrible off of misses. And honestly, that speaks to effort more than anything else. But So Houston's offensive defense efficiency numbers, again, number three overall offense in the the NBA, 16th on defense, 109 points allowed per 100 possessions. And last year, if you go, hey, sometimes your ranking can be misleading. Well, they were at 110.1 points per possession. So there's the same team defensively, at least when it comes to that. Golden State, these numbers are a little different. They're 30th in offense and they're 23rd on defense. They were first on offense, just a fraction better than number two Houston last year. And they were 11th defense uh, defensively. Where you know they were close, you know they were only about a point and a half better per hundred possessions than Houston was. But Golden State was starting to slip a little defensively last year because that's just sort of what happens. Like you just keep winning titles, you get to the finals every year, and you just you're not going to have the same locked in effort throughout an entire regular season. You're not going to contest. You're not going to you're not going to switch as hard. You're just not going to because you know you're really good and you'll turn it on. And we saw that slipping a little bit with Golden State a couple of years ago. Now it's way off. Okay, Westbrook. Uh, The Westbrook thing is not working, but is he getting a little bit better? Well, the free throws are better. He's 88% in December after having a really weird stretch where he wasn't playing that well. I mean, there are numbers going to tell you right now what he is across the board. He um, He has been as bad in some stats at any point in like seven or eight years. Okay, so let me pull him up here again because I was going through his monthlies and there was some improvement and really the the biggest thing was like okay he's finally hitting his free throws because there's there's one thing about guards if you drive a lot but don't make your free throws that's not great and guess what Westbrook drives a lot so October's only four games 34 minutes a game 16 and a half shots 48% 31% from 3 72% from the free throw line because some of the raw numbers you're like oh what are you talking about he's getting 22 a game he had 10 assists and 12 rebounds he averaged a triple double in October um November 33 minutes taking 20 shots so he jumped up the shooting a little bit more the shooting numbers the percentages went down big time 41 percent overall 21.6 from three and the three free throw numbers there were 72 percent 22 points a game this month he's on he's averaging 27 a game in December eight and a half boards so the boards are up again eight assists Twenty nine percent from three, which is a major improvement from last month. Still terrible. And that's on four and a half attempts. So he's down in attempts by at least one. But he's now taking twenty three shots a game. I think Westbrook's available. We could talk about semantics. Of course, Daryl Morey would trade anyone if he thought it made his team better. Of course, he would trade Westbrook if he could get off of that long term money. If he thought the assets, the sum of the parts was better than having somebody that's considered a top ten player. I think Westbrook is a misleading player. I've said this now for a while. And the only difference with Houston is that he he can't keep Houston hostage the way he would another franchise. Now, when I ask around and I'll get more stuff because he didn't want to talk to guys, you know, on Christmas and Christmas Eve coming back from the Vegas showcase where it's kind of just a big gossipy weekend. But. You know, is Daryl Morey actively calling people saying I got to dump wet? Well, of course, he wouldn't do it that way. But there are people who believe the Westbrook is available and that Daryl knows I got to figure something out here and It's about the contract more than I think somebody watching Westbrook one moment going, Hey, you know what? I think I'd like him. Like the only time, here would be a good example find a flat franchise that is flat for a bunch of years that feels like they have nothing to sell that goes, You know what? Screw it. Now we have a superstar and we weren't going to win any games before. And now we're not going to win that many, any, but at least we have a guy that's going to sell a lot of jerseys and kids are going to like. And it's going to be exciting. We're going to get more people in the stands. Think about a team like Orlando. Now, I would guess that Orlando actually wouldn't do that deal. Um, but if you were looking at franchises that felt flat for years, they may be the only solutions. Now, do they have enough pieces that actually Daryl Morey would say, hey, this actually makes sense? Um, I'm sure people will deny this after they hear it on the podcast. I don't care. OK, so Harden's free throw attempt numbers, as I mentioned, his first one at, at eight minutes or so it was a three that he made in the end one. He actually missed the free throw. Um, I went through all of his minutes, his free throw attempts, his field goal attempts, and all that stuff in the three-point attempts. So October, because I'm like, wait a minute, Harden at one point was averaging 16 and a half free throw attempts per game in October. He's not getting the same foul calls that he used to get. And then I compared it with drives too, all right? So this is, this is a little nerdy, but here we go. October, 37 minutes a game for Harden. 24 shot attempts, 13 and a half of those are threes, 16 and a half free throw attempts per game. You could say, all right, well, he had 16 and a half in in four games. Not a great sample there. And he averaged 22 and a half drives, which was number one in the NBA in October. All right, so let's go to November more games. Again, 37 minutes a game, 24 shots a game, 14 threes a game. All the stuff is the same, but then 14 free throw attempts per game. All right, not a major correction. It's only two and a half. Um, and I looked at his drive numbers. Was he driving less? Yeah, a little less. Two and a half less drives per game, 20 per game, third overall in the NBA. December, 39 minutes a game for Harden, so more minutes, 26 shots per game, still only 14 three, only 14 threes, but only 10 free throw attempts per game. So he's jumped like there's a drop off here. And I looked at his drives and in the month of December, he was 12th in drives, Sixteen. So he's like six less drives. So is he driving less? Sort of. And that's leading to less free throws or is he being called a little differently? I've never understood how he was called the way he was. I'm not going to get into that rant for the hundredth time, but I think it's a combination of some things and it's something worth paying attention to. And then I went and looked at Westbrook's drives and I was like, well, wait a minute, is Westbrook driving more? And the numbers are all pretty close. 18 drives per game which was fifth best in the NBA in October, 16 drives per game in November, 14th best. But in December, Westbrook is averaging 21 drives per game. That's second overall in the NBA. So it was Westbrook's drives, taking away from Harden's and then taking away some of the free throws. All this stuff sort of connected. Uh, Houston's not great, and this was a terrible loss. Draymond Green said after the game, hey, we're getting better. I've thrown a lot of numbers at you here. They are getting better. Let's see here. I'm not going to go through all this, even though I wrote it all down. They're getting better on defense. Hooray. They're 12th in the month of December in defensive efficiency, but they're also last in offense in this month, too, which is kind of where they've been all year long. Uh, they are they are the worst offense in the league. I still think it's really worth pointing out, D'Angelo Russell, when this run happened, he got subbed out at um, 98, 99, but you know, he gets subbed out after the, you know, as the free throws are being made. So let's say he's off the floor at 197 and then Golden State. I mean, that was part of a 19-2 run. Alec Burks came in and D'Angelo Russell did not get back in the game. So I don't know, just something to think about there. Bad loss by Houston, but I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and now say, now I've got to look at this team entirely differently because they lost to the Warriors. Let's talk Philadelphia. Okay. Because Philadelphia, who I picked to win the East, has not looked like the best team in the East, whether it's Milwaukee's incredible run. And that Milwaukee win against the Lakers, you know, that that meant something to me. I I looked at that game, and I know I went off on the people to tweet, but the team itself, you know, it's always tough. It's always tough when you're really good, but you haven't done it. It's much like Toronto last year, you know, when you go, okay, but what are you guys going to do once you get into the playoffs? So when they were down 2-0 to Milwaukee, and it was funny to hear some of the Milwaukee players that were interviewed, in part of the broadcast against Philadelphia, it's like, yeah, you know, we got up to we started looking ahead a little bit and We're like or Kawhi happened that that too. And the problem with Milwaukee is, as I've said, yeah, hey, spread everybody out. Giannis taxed the middle. People have to help they leave shooters open. It's kind of like Harden without the three pointers. And instead, it's Giannis at the rim, 18 points at the rim in the NBA. That's 18 points per game at the rim for Giannis. I believe that's number one in the NBA. I think it is. I know he's number one in field goal attempts under five feet. So sometimes that rim under five feet restricted area thing can, depending on how you want to sort this stuff, it it can lead to different numbers. But he's number one in field goal attempts five feet under 18 points of the rim. I don't believe anybody's above that. So this game was about two things. Philly shot the hell out of the ball. And Embiid was not just great on offense. He was outstanding on Giannis drives. Like, unbelievable. Okay, now I think Giannis is the best player in the league. And... I think Embiid, when, and granted, this is not the best day to say Giannis, but that's just not the way I roll. I'm not going to sit here and go, hey, I thought Giannis was maybe the best player in the league for the first three months of the season, but he was terrible against Philly on a a, a Wednesday. I almost said Saturday. He was bad in the middle of the day, so now I'm going to change my rankings again. I mean, I'm not trying to get clicks here. So he's the best. He wasn't the best today, though. Embiid was. And the Embiid conversation is always frustrating. You know, I was texting with Simmons, and we're going, this is unbelievable, huh? And, you know, it's one thing if I say it, but when Shaq and Barkley, who you can call guys that aren't always, compl- look, let me, let me rephrase that. They are not complimentary of today's players, but they were so precise and specific about Embiid during one of those TNT broadcasters a couple weeks ago. And Embiid even commented on it that, you know, it's just one of those deals where you go, Hey, if you're the best player, cause when Embiid is right, when he is locked in, like he was on Christmas day, he looks like the best player in the league. He just does. And some of it's conditioning some of it's I don't know if it's a passive nature some of it's just the frustration of playing for a coach that by the way is just now figuring out to split up Simmons and Embiid minutes more I was on 82games.com looking at their minutes groupings and comparing last year with this year and I think it's pretty definitive and I don't want to go through it all because I still think we need more time especially with Embiid missing time because some of the ways they sort it they'll sort it by percentage of available minutes for the entire season so Embiid's numbers are going to look lower because I'm missing some games but Whenever I'm tracking a Philly game and I look at those Embiid Simmons splits and the substitution patterns, they're splitting them up more. No way. No way. You know, it's just, it's just so obvious. But they shot it unbelievably well today. And Philly is not a three point shooting team, right? We know that they're not. So coming into this one, Philly, despite being ninth in the league in three point shooting, 36%. Their thirtieth, or excuse me, their thirty attempts per game for three are twenty-sixth in the league, where Milwaukee is right at thirty-six percent from three, which is eleventh. They're actually like um, right there with them in attempts. But Milwaukee takes the third most. So they take ten more threes a game than Philadelphia is. Uh, is taken every game okay so we know that philadelphia like this today if philadelphia were to become a team that could shoot the ball like they did against milwaukee today again this is against the number one defense too and a milwaukee team that has the most deflections of any team in the nba excuse me not most deflections that's a different stat they're actually a little middle of the pack that was surprising to me milwaukee leads the nba in contested shots. And it's by like eight or nine more than the second place team. It's a staggering number. I don't know that I have it here. I may have just looked it up because, hey, it was Christmas and I was here to serve you. So that's that's what we know. And again, yeah, Philly shoots like this. That'd be like Colorado having an ocean. Okay, where you'd go, wait a minute. Okay, that's that's what's going to happen. That doesn't seem fair to every other state. And it wouldn't be real quick. I look back at the latest or I guess earliest however you want to phrase it the, as far back as dot-com would go on three-point attempts boston led the league which they shouldn't have in 2001 2002 and three-point attempts at 24 a game philadelphia was last in the nba <laughs> in 2001 2002 with nine three-point attempts per game harden takes like five more than the sixers did almost 20 years ago in a game so Let's go over some of the Embiid stuff at the rim because it was it was brutal. Um, in Milwaukee, without Giannis, it's even worse. Like Lopez disappeared, Middleton. I know he ended up with thirty plus points. Those were empty as hell. Uh, he was nowhere to be found when they needed him. And you know it, 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 there was like a late run there where if you didn't watch this game, you may have thought it close. It was not close at all. It was 69-48 at the half. The first Giannis possession of the second half, he drives right and beat again nothing okay and that was when Embiid I believe got him in transition then there was another play where it was sort of a loose ball and it was a dunk on Tobias Harris where he probably pushed off on Tobias but he's smart because he doesn't extend his arms he puts his shoulder into you and as long as the arm isn't flailing because his hands are on the ball so he gets the dunk there I don't know if anybody's ever going to get that call against Giannis but at that spot like it it was because he high it was because Harris got bumped. It, it wasn't you know anything else and then Giannis gets going at Embiid again, and he shuts him down again. At that point, Giannis is 5 of 18, 0 of 5 from 3. Uh, he went at him again, and he missed. And then Giannis had a 3-pointer where Embiid didn't even get beyond. I mean, he was like 5 feet below the free-throw line, and Embiid didn't even go out there. Giannis misses that 3, so now we're at 5 of 20, 0 of 6. Um, then there was another drive where Giannis went in Embiid, and it was actually a bad foul call. And then Embiid went out. They're up 7854. And look, Milwaukee didn't hit threes. They didn't take free throws. Giannis was a mess. Middleton gets it going a little bit there late. Ben Simmons, who has not been on the cover of the Rosillo podcast, but his effort defensively. And the effort thing with Simmons is always so weird because if you put in the effort to be that good defensively, like defense is more effort than anything else. All right, that's it. Pay attention, know the rotations, and give a damn. And Simmons does. And whenever Simmons was being knocked coming out of LSU, LSU was an absolute mess with like four wings that all thought they were going to be number one picks. That's a little bit of exaggeration, but there were four guys that all thought that they were the man but when Simmons would get just dumped on for being passive which he is on offense he wasn't necessarily like a passive lazy player like he's getting like 12 boards a game in college so for him to care that much on defense and there was like an incredible strip he had in this game and you know some of the stuff that he does do you just go, how could you have that much effort on one side of the ball and then never really figure out the, the other side and have these games with these, these real highs and lows? So you know, I don't need to go over all the Simmons stuff there again. It was a really, really impressive win by Philly. They led up a bit there defensively. People got it going in the middle. Middleton, as I mentioned, I'm just kind of scanning through all these notes here a little bit. Um, and that was the largest deficit. I think when it was 173, that was the largest deficit that Milwaukee had faced in two years. So great win for Philly. But I'm not going to write off the Sixers all of a sudden thinking that, or excuse me, I'm not going to write off Milwaukee all of a sudden uh, just because they, they lost this game and looked so terrible. Let's do Boston and Toronto, which was the first one, because again, that's another one of those games where, how about this stat? I couldn't believe this stat. That was the first win against Toronto, In Toronto. So Toronto had won 34 straight games versus the Atlantic Division at home. That seems impossible. Not every game is at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon in Toronto. They're not allowed to play all of their home games in an afternoon after NBA players go out in one of their easily top five favorite cities to visit on the road. And Boston gets this one. But you you can't be you know, team green on this one or a green Teamer, as they used to call us back at Comcast with all my co-hosts because the Celtics wanted everybody that worked on that show to be an absolute homer. And that's why (laughs) I don't know, even though I think some of the Celtics guys didn't mind me, uh, I just wasn't ever going to be a homer. I mean, that's one of the things that like last year I was telling you all year, like especially let's say second half of the season going, don't put Boston down as a title contender or a team that can get out of the East. Like, are you watching these guys? And they weren't. They're so much better now. Boston's top four with Kemba, Jalen Brown, who was incredible today, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward. That top four, one through four, is going to be a is just going to be better than a lot of teams' fours. And if they can find another big, and you know they, Daniel Tice is a nice player, but he should be a backup, uh, not your starter. Canner has his moments, and Lowry was going at Canner and and Chris Boucher, who's such an incredibly odd talented guy a big guy who can block shots set screens roll catch and then his three-point shot looks terrific Uh, that was actually something i took out of this toronto game more than anything you know despite them losing and it not being it was competitive um they got up 10 nothing in the first thing and then you know boston went on this massive run to match him and it just you know boston was the better team at least today against an undermanned toronto team but even when i look at their bench you know abaca 23 minutes that's an incredible big to have in your rotation gasol was out Siakam, the best player, is out. And Powell's out. Who Powell's a nice player. So that's three guys that are probably... I don't know where Gasol's minutes are. I'm not going to look it up right now. I'm going to imagine he's probably like outside of the top five. But those are three starters, three guys that are outside. You know, I'm going to look it up because it's just going to bother me. Just trying to be thorough. I don't want you talking to somebody being like, you know whose minutes I think might be top five? Yep. All right. So there you go. So Powell is a starter for like half the season. But Gasol is sixth in minutes so they're missing three of their top six minute guys and Ibaka is now starting and Ibaka would be a starter on a lot of teams he's the backup on this one so let me just go back to this because it's just something that jumps out at me here I am raving about Toronto as they lose by 16 at home but Ibaka bench guy OG and Anobi didn't do anything today but I still like him Lowry you know getting back in the mix he wasn't very good but I'm going to mention a couple things that are very pro Lowry Van Vliet's incredible he had 27 McCaw playing minutes Boucher as I mentioned uh, excuse me Boucher um Hollis Jefferson had some nice moments today Terrence Davis has been pretty good for them and you just keep looking going this is this team that can play you know nine guys and you're not scared to death like all of them are that's that was the big lesson in, in last year and not to say that everybody can match it in roster management, and how you want to build it, but it's something to be said about having seven or eight guys that they have the ball in their hand with a few seconds left on the shot clock can find a way to get a shot off. Or, you know, that Oklahoma City team back with Durant and Westbrook, you just drive me crazy and be like, how could you have two non, like not forget guys that you don't have to close out on two, two to sometimes three guys that felt like the Thunder would pair with those two that didn't need to be guarded. Just not, just not a lot of, balance offensively despite at the time having durant and westbrook and maybe should have won a title in 2016 so compliments for for all of that um lowry you know i i find the annoyance of lowry throughout of course the game to get in the way of me uh enjoying how how important he is to the team which i need to admit right now because i saw some things even with a bad shooting night and that loss like this is the difference between a kyle lowry and let's say well i don't want to do a Trey Young thing here again. I might, though. Even though every point guard now needs to actually have a shot. Like, if you're going to be a special point guard because of how incredible this position is now, you have to be a score. Score first point guards were a bad thing. Now it's like a prerequisite to play the position. But there's still something to be said of somebody that knows, you know what, i got to get somebody else going here. Or i got to keep somebody else engaged. Kind of like the anti-Westbrook. Westbrook didn't care if anybody else is engaged. He was going to do his thing. And then if you've got the ball, cool. Kyle Lowry not only understands what needs to be done, possession of possession, and he look, he's going to take a few bad threes and he's going to do some things you're not always going to love, and he's never going to be like a top five guy or any of that kind of stuff at the position. But he also, you know, there was a stretch where they were really bogged down and then they ran something out of a timeout where they got kind of all the action going left or excuse me, right to left uh, around the key. And Van Vliet ends up with it, but really the play was Lowry to catch it at the top of the three for a look off a screen that was set behind where the ball action was. And Lowry catches it and hits the three. And I go, you know what, That's, that's the thing I need to point out here and talk about Lowry. Now, on the other end defensively, you know, what Toronto's doing, you know, they threw a little zone at Boston, you know, not necessarily as much as Miami's doing. And that's something about Philadelphia, especially this last week or so, you know, more and more teams trying to throw some zone at them. But Toronto, I love the zone after a timeout. I love, look, they even full court pressed, especially after what needs to be mentioned and there needs to be maybe a 30 for 30 on it. But Toronto coming back down 30 with two plus minutes to go in the third quarter against Dallas and scoring 40 something ridiculous points in the fourth quarter. That was an all time comeback that was completely buried in the day of NFL and didn't get its due. Boy, I'm really talking up Toronto a lot here for a team that lost. I guess I'm just going to be honest with you. Like Boston's really good. I love their top four. I don't like their bigs the grant Williams at five thing has been a disaster. Um, but they're the two seed and I'm not sure. I'm not really sure if they're definitively like the second best team. Like I still think Philly's more talented. Um, Toronto with Siakam is, is right there with them. Miami's really good. And Oladipo's coming back for Indianapolis. So, you know, there's, there's a lot there at the top of the East and it isn't crazy anymore to say the top of the East is deeper than the top of the West. It's just, I'm not sure if any of those two teams are as good as the two LA teams. So, as I sift through all this Toronto stuff, um, I mentioned the Lowry deal there. That made it seventy eight sixty four, 64 but really didn't matter. Um, they would trap Kemba, and that's what's going to happen to Kemba, especially as you start getting it against the big boys in playoffs. You know, the small guard trapped, force him away from it. But I'm telling you, if Kemba is splitting some of these doubles really well. He's anticipating them perfectly. And if there's any lag in somebody trying to get over a screen with him, he's doing that thing where he pulls up from three quicker than you think and he doesn't have to be straight up and down. He's floating into the shot from three and he's hitting it. Uh, And no Marcus Smart for the Celtics fans that maybe are so frustrated with this segment so far. But come on, they were missing three other guys. Uh, Bad Tatum game. Bad Tatum game. 5 of 18, 11 points, zero free throws. He is, and this is kind of like the Tatum... Denver Nuggets, Siaka, Milwaukee Bucks, all of it put together. I love Tatum out of the draft. There are tweets that back that up. When he did what he did in the playoffs that first year, I'm like, this is something special. We also didn't realize the East was god-awful when you think back of two years ago when LeBron made it to his last finals. Not last forever, but you know what I'm saying. And I had high, high hopes for Tatum, and I didn't know what Jalen Brown was going to be. Jalen Brown last year was terrible to start the season. And then he just said, screw it. Because I think that's the part about Jalen Brown that I really, really like. Um, and Tatum wasn't as good. And I do believe Kyrie had a lot to do with that. And we can dig in some of the stats and say, oh, there wasn't really much difference. That sometimes stats, you know, what I don't like about going back and looking at certain stats, be like, you know what, that guy, that's what he did in the playoffs. So what happened when I watched in the moment, none of it was true? Because 20 points... Not every 20-point game is created equal, okay? So I have higher hopes for who Tatum is going to be, but now in his third year, he's had some games this year that are nuts. I think he's had four 30-point games, and he's had like more 30-point games in less than half a season than he'd had in the previous two years combined. i got to double-check that. That'll be my to-do list for next week. Double-check that Tatum scoring stat. I like Jason Tatum. But I think my expectations for him are so high that when he has these god-awful games, I'm like, you know, he has some real duds in there. He does. And he's always going to be linked to the Brandon Ingram thing because he was the piece that was going to be in the Anthony Davis trade. The Celtics would have traded him. um, But Davis wasn't coming here and Kyrie wasn't staying. So none of that stuff was going to work out. But they would have traded Tatum for Anthony Davis. I believe that. And then, you know, the whole Ingram stuff, like it just goes on and on. It's really just Lakers and Celtics fans yelling at each other all the time. But, I have this rule about guys like, and I'm talking about Tatum. Look, Tatum was in the top 16, 16A MVP votes for Magic Johnson. You guys saw the tweet. So when we're expecting that maybe you could be a top 10 player, because Tatum has flashes where you go, this guy's absolutely unstoppable, the size, the handle, the shooting, the range. What are you going to do with this guy? And then there's nights where it's just terrible. I go, by his third season, shouldn't he be more consistent? Now we are in this age where we're seeing longer, slower growth from the best players in the league in a way that we've never seen before. When LeBron was awesome right away, he was awesome right away. Okay. When, I don't know, take your pick, like Chris Paul was awesome right away. <laughs> like, hey, you he pick Chris Paul again. Congrats. You know, Steph was a little different because he was off the ball and he had Mark Jackson holding him back and you know, they were running stuff where he was standing in the corner and granted he hit all those corner threes, but they had Jared Jack and they had that stuff. And they just had other guys that were more established. They were taking shots away from him. So he wasn't allowed to just freely go nuts like some of these high usage guys on bad teams. But Giannis took time. Kawhi took time. But I, st- I still think the special ones we know pretty quick. I don't think the league has pivoted to this thing now where the best players are going to be the best versions of themselves and sort of a surprise at year five because Kawhi's a surprise Giannis is a surprise hell even Paul George took a little bit of time shout out to John Hollinger for being the first person I ever remember saying he's going to be an all-star so I feel like Tatum if he's really going to be what I personally the, the expectation that I have for him and certainly a lot of other people do then I'm kind of like what's why are there still some of these really bad games? Whereas Jalen Brown, I didn't have the same expectations. And I think he's been incredible. And I probably, I wouldn't say more of a pass, but like, I never thought Jalen Brown could potentially be a top 10 player in the league. I just, I'm like, oh, hey, Jalen Brown was awesome again. That's great. Oh, he was bad. Eh, whatever. When Tatum's bad, I'm like, man. And, you know, it's really, I saw, here's, here's an example of something really stupid. I saw a Browns website tweet out something about Baker Mayfield's first two seasons and they compared it to Drew Brees. Now here's one simple rule. If you're going to compare a quarterback playing today versus a quarterback 10 years ago, hell, this is almost 20 years ago. Stop right there. Don't do that. And you can save yourself like 30 minutes of writing stuff down because it's a completely different game. But if you're stubborn and you're going to go ahead and do that anyway, and go, well, look at Drew Brees' numbers. Look at Baker Mayfield. There's basically no difference. Yeah. Well, you know what you're doing? You're comparing Baker to somebody who lost his freaking starting job in San Diego. Okay. Go back and read Burt Breer's Monday Morning Quarterback with an incredible interview. I think it was Schottenheimer who was working with, um, it's the kid, Schottenheimer, who was working with Brees. And they're like, hey, we're drafting a quarterback. And Brees is like, great. Awesome. And they're like, hey, if you don't get a touchdown this drive, we're benching you and we're going with somebody else. So you're comparing Baker to a guy that becomes a Hall of Famer because he got a lot better. it's the same thing with Peyton Manning. Anytime a young quarterback throws a million picks, it's like, wow, Peyton Manning had a million picks his first year. Yeah, then he became one of the three best quarterbacks in the history of the league. So what am I supposed to do? Like, Jameis is just another season away. Like, Jameis throws a lot of picks. So did Peyton Manning. Basically, he's Peyton Manning, dude. He's just in Tampa. No difference. People do that all the time. So that is my point, is that if you're going to be really special. I need to see it more consistently from Tatum, but the Celtics are smart. They're great offensively. They're really good defensively. And the way they anticipated some of the trapping with the second pass, it was just really good. And that was a nice win for a team that, you know, I, I can't wait to actually see the Eastern Conference playoffs because it's going be, to be real matchup heavy. If Philadelphia ends up with Boston, and Boston doesn't add a big, yeah, good luck. Good luck, Boston. This word from State Farm, and then the best interview I've ever done. And now it's time for the State Farm safe bet of the week. Less quarterback roster turnover than you think. That's what you can count on. Ryan, what are you talking about? Look at all these teams. I went through all the teams. I think there's nine teams right now that could have a different quarterback starting next season. Cincinnati, the Chargers. Maybe even Chicago, the Miami Dolphins, Tampa Bay Bucks, Carolina Panthers, Oakland Raiders, Denver Broncos, Tennessee Titans, and we could even add Detroit if we want to, but I'm not going to speculate on Matthew Stafford's injury, although we do know it's severe. So it sounds like there are nine teams, but before I actually break that down and tell you that number is going to be less, let's remind you about these big numbers, because if you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help, whether you connect in person or by phone or through the State Farm mobile app. Agents are here to help, so go with the one that has coverage and agents that you can count on. So if we go through this, the only locks that are absolutely going to have different quarterbacks week one of 2020 are Cincinnati and Miami. Cincinnati, I'd imagine, after benching Dalton when it didn't look like he deserved it, and they've actually been a little bit better with him back, are going to take Burrow one. I would think they wouldn't continue the Dalton thing for another stretch. And the Dolphins, despite the magic that we've seen and Rosen being on the roster, I can't imagine that they aren't going to take somebody and we'll have a different week one. Because if you go through the Chargers... Are they really going to move off Rivers if he wants to come back and they may not have the perfect solution? Are they really going to move off Mitch Trubisky if you're in Chicago? Hell, we're hearing that Jameis is a lock to come back to Tampa Bay for another year. And despite all the Kyle Allen love, he just got benched for Will Greer. So another one-year commitment to Cam Newton? Is that really the wrong call if they feel like he gives them a better chance to win some football games? Derek Carr's contract isn't just something you would kick away. And Denver with Drew Locke may have their guy. And Tannehill has been incredible for the Titans, one of the best Fantasy producers, which is not really the number one qualifier for a GM to give a guy a new contract, but it's real. So usually it's always about five or six teams because they move on and just get tired of that same guy. But even though there's nine teams that could potentially make a change, I think the number is going to end up being a lot less, as low as we've seen in a long time. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Okay, here is the youngest guest we've ever had on the podcast. His name is Sully Miller. He's a really good basketball player, and I'm... As creepy as it sounds, in his bedroom, interviewing him. We got Lakers jerseys everywhere. Let's talk a little about you first before we hear your takes. Uh, How old are you?
1: I'm 12.
0: And which position? Are you like a combo? Are you a point, shooting, everything?
1: I'm a point guard.
0: Who would you say you've modeled your basketball game after?
1: I'd probably say more of like Chris Paul player because I'm like mostly like a pass first, but I can also score.
0: I like that. I like that answer. You know that a lot of people say they hate playing with Chris Paul.
1: Except I'm a good teammate.
0: All right, so you're a leader, too. Okay, all right, so if I have this right, so like in the beginning, your favorite player was who? Kobe Bryant. Okay, so it was Kobe. Um, here's the other thing, though. If you were born, do you consider yourself an L.A. guy?
1: Well, yeah, I was born in L.A., but I grew up in Vermont, but I've always liked L.A. teams.
0: Do you tell kids that you're an L.A. guy in a Vermont classroom? Yes. That must be kind of awesome. Does that play well? Yes. And you lived in Manhattan Beach, right? So do you feel like I'm copying you, trying to live out there now? Basically. Okay. And your dad was also a pro hockey player, and you seem to have little to no respect, the fact that he was a pro athlete. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, he was terrible.
0: He wasn't terrible. He was a defensive first defenseman. He played the... He played the man, not the puck.
1: <coughs> yeah, he was good. He was, yeah, he was okay.
0: Okay, all right. Um, So right now your favorite player in the NBA is who?
1: Anthony Davis.
0: Okay, now it was Russell Westbrook for a while, and then it was Lonzo Ball. Why has it transitioned from those players? Take me through the Westbrook, Lonzo, and now Anthony Davis transition.
1: Well, when I liked Westbrook, I didn't really like a specific team, but then I started to like the Lakers and Lonzo, like, All the hype around him and I just started to like him, but he left teams. I still have mad respect for him, but I like A D because he's on the Lakers.
0: Right. Now did you ever order a pair of uh the big baller brand shoes?
1: No, I wanted to. I have a shirt though.
0: You have a shirt. You didn't order the shoes and they didn't show up. You just don't
1: so expensive.
0: They were expensive. So that's all right. I don't think you missed out on that. Okay. Um Anthony Davis now like give me you did like I'll give you credit here you liked the Lakers when it was just Lonzo and Brandon Ingram. So how tough were those years for you before LeBron and AD showed up?
1: Terrible. Really bad. What? But, see, I love lo- watching Lonzo cuz he's like he's just he's to be honest, he's not that good. I just when he does good stuff, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah.
0: I do think he might get traded again, so would you want him back on the Lakers? What if he went on the Celtics? What if Alonzo went to the Celtics? Did you become a Celtics fan?
1: Definitely not, never.
0: Yeah, and you were there for the Westbrook game winner in Boston. and You were cheering amongst a sea of other people named Sully, and I know that you weren't drinking that night, so you were pretty excited, but you had to kind of rein it in a little because you were afraid to cheer too much for Westbrook in a Boston crowd, correct?
1: Yes, I was very scared. I didn't want to wear a jersey. I feel like I get a lot of hate.
0: By the way, I bought you a Tatum jersey last year for Christmas. You said you wanted it. Do you still wear it? Yes. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I didn't want to know that I wasted 80 bucks on you. Okay. So right now, this is why we're here. Your top five players in the NBA. Are you? I know you've prepped for this. So we're gonna we're going to break it down right now. So go ahead. Feel free to just explore the space.
1: Okay. So this probably isn't in order, but I'd say... LeBron James, James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis.
0: Okay. Uh I got to tell you I don't know that there's a ton of argument to that one right now. Who do you think is the best player in the NBA?
1: I'd say like maybe he's not the best basketball player or like offensive player, but I'm not only saying this cuz I'm a Lakers fan, but I I have to say right now it's probably LeBron James. Team wise, because like I know James Harden is probably like a better, way better scorer than him, but I have to say, like, he he's winning more games to the Lakers than James Harden can for the Rockets.
0: Yeah, I think all of those things are fair. Okay, Harden. I am known as not necessarily like the biggest Harden fan, but he's definitely in the top five Mm of players. Who would you rather have though on your team, Steph or James Harden?
1: Honestly, Steph. Steph. Why? I feel like he just he's probably a better teammate and he's just he can win games and he can play around other people that's definitely the biggest part because pretty sure like last year like all of James Harden's points not off assists and Steph cuts around the screens gets around the screens and finds open shots for his guys
0: does Steph shooting from 30 feet have you ever pulled up from 30 feet in any of your games because of Steph
1: I don't even think I'm that strong but maybe once or twice.
0: You have the green light is what I'm hearing. Yes. That's good. Okay, so Giannis or LeBron for one year? The rest of the year you can only have one. Who would you rather have? LeBron. What is it about LeBron?
1: I don't know. I just feel like right now he's just, like a lot of people say he's like not, well, he's not in his prime, but like, He's definitely still got it. Like a lot of people are saying, he's wearing out. But like, he he can score, he can defend, he can pass, he can rebound. I mean, definitely better shooter than Giannis, and he can do basically everything.
0: Does thirty four seem like almost dead to you, age wise?
1: No, maybe not for LeBron though.
0: You know how much older I am than LeBron? Do you know who's older? Yeah. How much? You like forty three? Forty four. Forty four? Yeah, I'm ten it's
1: years. Close. old. close. It's close. It's do, close.
0: Do you think you'll look as good as me when you're forty four?
1: Definitely. Maybe.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh you didn't mention Luca.
1: Okay. That okay. Now, here we go. right I forgot about him. That's right. Okay. He might make the top five, maybe. He's playing outstandingly well right now. But I just I don't know. This whole triple double thing getting kind of crazy
0: played out a little
1: I don't know I mean he's definitely better than Trey Young he definitely won I definitely see how the rookie of the year award went to him that was fair because started the season when no one really knew him and then he just went off in games and yeah he won it
0: now you're a point guard as we established at the top here if you had to pick any point guard, though, to run your team, does that mean you'd take Steph over over Harden, is what you said, right? Mm-hmm. And then where would Westbrook be? Would you rather have Harden than Westbrook?
1: I feel like mm, no, because Westbrook is like, he's just like, I don't find, he's not like in his prime anymore, I just feel like. He's just not really.
0: He's missing a lot of shots.
1: Yeah, he's not a good shooter at all.
0: You mentioned Trey Young there. How do you feel about his game? Because I see you having the attitude of a Trey Young, but maybe not the handles yet.
1: Yeah, Trey Young, saucy. Uh, he's just really fun to watch. He's like, he's little, but he shows that size doesn't matter. He can like get by everyone, and like he's very hard to guard because if he like dribbles the ball super low, like that's almost like impossible to guard. And he can finish his layups. He's really good at floaters. And yeah
0: Give me a couple guys That you don't like watching That you're not a huge fan of
1: Well I It depends Cause like If it's like If they just like Are just like I don't like watching Like centers For some reason Cause they just don't do anything
0: So you're But like, How tall do you think You're gonna be Do you think you'll ever be a center
1: No I think Hopefully six feet Over six feet
0: I think you'll be over six feet That's great. How come you never wanted to play hockey like your dad?
1: I don't like sports equipment.
0: You just want to show up and ball?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. What will you be if you're not an NBA player?
1: I want to be a broadcaster like Ryan Rossillo.
0: That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Merry Christmas, buddy.
1: Merry Christmas espn guys people
0: i'm not with espn anymore
1: wait what you're not for real
0: yeah it's the ringer man good stuff um where can we follow all your your fire content on instagram
1: sully dot miller on instagram and yeah i might make a twitter account blow up and destroy all the haters
0: okay that'll do it for a long old school version of tales from the couch and thank you for uh listening to my buddy sully miller You can follow his fire Instagram content at Sully Miller. Uh, He's a great kid and his family's great. So I always want to do that with him. So there you go. Hopefully you learned something. Ryan, are you seriously not going to give us any Christmas gifts? No tales from the couch. Bonus stats to impress the ladies. You know what? We'll give you a couple. You know how much I love the fourth quarter stuff can be a little misleading at times. By the way, LeBron James, who missed a huge free throw because I went back and looked at something as I was listening to that interview, he missed a big free throw in that game in the loss against the Clippers. He's now 61% from the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Something to think about. Because you can see he wears the stress of those free throws on his face. He does. And it's something that was really going on there for a while. I think it may have gotten better and we stopped paying attention to it. Or he stopped taking the technical. That was like years ago. I think he was still in Cleveland when that story uh, first started developing. But when we were talking about the Lakers and the creativity offensively without LeBron, with both Davis and James, I just found the stat on the floor together, plus 10.7 points in net efficiency. Just LeBron, plus 10 points. Just Davis, minus 6.3. Whoa. That's actually shocking. But when you've watched the Lakers without LeBron, even though Davis feels like, because he's Defensive Player of the Year and he's been great, that he's like in the conversation for MVP as much as LeBron is, uh, those are pretty staggering numbers. So just something to think about. Van Gundy pointed it out. And it was really smart. Um, how about net differentials for teams in the fourth quarter? Top five are the Bucks, Celtics, Clippers, Lakers, and like, hey, Ryan, that's not impressive. I'm going to Applebee's tomorrow for unlimited riblets. And if the waitress is from Oregon State, who, you know, still is expected to go back to school at some point, finish, she had to leave after her sophomore year. I need something a little bit better than, hey, the four best teams in the league have the four best differentials. Well, the Thunder are fifth in net differential in the fourth quarter all between 11 and 9 points in the positive. And then actually after the Thunder, there's a pretty significant drop-off. So the Thunder, are some doing, they're doing some things. They're doing them late. The worst five, and this is worst to uh, 26th, Memphis, Charlotte, the Knicks, the Nets, the Hawks. And here's, uh, here's some interesting numbers. Atlanta has the worst offensive efficiency in the fourth quarter. Okay, so Trey Young, who possesses the ball more than any single player in the NBA, 9.1 minutes per game, he has the ball in his hand. That's number one in the league. He's 6.25 seconds per touch, number one in the league. He's six plus dribbles per touch, which is number two behind DJ Augustine. Augustine, he's not afraid to hang on to the basketball. So there's your guy, Trey Young, who, if you knew what to look for, you would see some of the things that I see, but. Some of you are just going to be really stubborn about this until three years from now, where you go, hey, a lot of the stuff that you said, you were kind of right about him. Atlanta's number 27 in offense, number 28 in defense. They're actually 13th in the fourth quarter defensive efficiency. That's probably because everybody's killing them and it doesn't really matter. Kind of like that Cavs game the other night where they were trying to give that thing away. The Atlanta Hawks run by... The most touch guy in the NBA, Trey Young, have the worst offense in the NBA in the fourth quarter. Maybe you could say, hey, who cares? They're getting killed already, so it doesn't really matter. I hope everybody has a great holiday and enjoyed this. And we will be back next week. I'm flying to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. I cannot wait to see what happens. And we are not doing a remote from the north side, but we may make an appearance. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the Ryan Russillo podcast on iTunes and everything else.